Um, I believe that um, Jesus really does want to speak to us this morning. I mean, I believe that he wants to speak to us all the time. I mean, he's identified in John 1 as the word of God. He's the communication of God. It's like who he is. But um, so it kind of sounds cliche for a pastor to say, I believe that the Lord wants to speak to us this morning. Duh, we're reading his word as he's spoken. Um, But I really do feel something uh, very specific, very fresh, can I say, and and like I say, specific, something that for, for, for this day. Um, and so let's open up our hearts to what that would be. Um, I believe it's significant, actually. So, Lord, we do just thank you for the power of your word. Lord, you said that your word is powerful. It's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's capable of dividing asunder soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. We invite the power of your word. Uh, as I speak, Lord, leverage me, a human vessel. I, I, I stand here on your behalf, in your stead. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill this place with the revelation of Jesus. Fill our hearts, open up our eyes. Let the eyes of our hearts be, lift, be opened up. Let every veil that clouds the clear revelation of the face of the Son of God and His kingdom be lifted this morning as your word is spoken. Be revealed Jesus. Bring healing. Bring restoration. Redeem circumstances in our hearts and our lives. Bring your people to yourself. You are good. Amen. So, uh, you know, I'm not really big on sermon titles and all that kind of stuff. However, sometimes I find, practically speaking, I bend my knee to the practicality of it and say it does actually help sometimes for there to be a sermon title. Um, and so if there was one, it would be going back to go forward. And what the idea there is that the Lord will sometimes, after we have come to faith in Him, and had an experience. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we'll talk a little bit more about that later this morning. Experiences where we go from maybe knowing about Jesus to actually coming into an intimate relationship of knowing Him. Uh, something that happened to me at the age of 17. Revolutionized my life. And there are times, many in this room obviously would, would identify with that. And if you haven't had that experience yet, you're in, good, you're in a great place. I believe that what the Lord wants to do to you today is to make an invitation for you to come into that place and to know that. You'll, you'll, I, I, I dare say you'll never know love until you meet Him. Real, like, like, you'll know love, but you'll never know eternal God kind of love. Okay, so sometimes we come to faith in Him. It's revolutionary. It changes our lives, but then stuff gets in the way. And then, and then compromise gets in the way, and stuff just happens. And uh, sometimes it's a scriptural truth that even the devil, yes, the devil is a real thing. It's, you know, it's real. Spiritual realm is real. And the devil will try to do things, because that's his job, to try to bring destruction in our lives. And those things will get in the way between me, you, and, you and me and God. 
And God will bring us back to that first place, that place where we originally met Him, the purity and simplicity of meeting Him for the first time, and the whispers of what He's spoken to our spirit in those moments, that whisper of something of calling and destiny in His heart for you, and it'll bring you back into that pure, pure place and set you back on a course. And you know what? What the enemy, what the devil had intended to bring destruction in your life through that coming back to Him in that pure place, actually winds up becoming the very thing that God uses to catapult you to becoming what we call a rebuilder of ruins in other people's lives. That was a lot of words. I hope you tracked all that. (laughs) Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God, Jesus says, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, dot, 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 Verse 4, and they, who are they? Those who are described as poor. That's not just poor as in your pocketbook. That's poor as in human need. They who were once described as poor had good news preached to them, who were healed in their hearts, who were uh, liberated from captivity, who were set into their place. They, the Bible says, become rebuilders of ruins. And it's like this in vogue thing that Detroit has ruins and we're all like rebuilding ruins and you know and Dan Gilbert this and the Illich is that and we're like seeing the city turn around and the and all this kind of and that's cool I believe maybe God's in that I don't know but I know this God's in the rebuilding of people and if you feel like there are ruins in your life you are in such good company if you don't feel like there's any ruins in your life you're probably not going to get anything out of this Honestly, everybody has ruins. You know why? Because this world has evil in it. And it brings destruction. And God's goodness is that he uses the very stuff that brings destruction to become the very thing that catapults us forward. So let's get into this. The resurrected Jesus brings us back to our first face so that he can move us forward to our destination, our calling. Some in this room perhaps have faced spiritual attack Again, I don't want to get super spiritual, hyper-faith, all that kind of stuff, but it's real. And some in this room have faced spiritual attack. You've had your faith tested, and I believe this morning Jesus is calling you back to the purity of that first place of faith when you first found him. Some, perhaps, in this room have never really come to that place of faith in Jesus. And like I said before, I believe that Jesus is wanting to present himself to you this morning to call you and beckon you and maybe show you who he really is and not what religion has said he was or what even the church has said he was. Sorry to say. Peter, the Apostle Peter, he came to faith in Christ, Christ, but stuff, compromise, doubt, unbelief, got in the way. We're going to read about that this morning. And Jesus restored him. That's significant because Jesus did not reject him. I want you to hear that. Stuff might have gotten in the way. Stuff might be in the way. What did Jesus do? He pointed that bony finger and said, you sinner. He restored him. That's important. What I'm getting at is the same Jesus is the same Jesus towards you and your failure. He restored him by bringing him back to that first point that he could then commission Peter into what he had always said he was called to do. Shall we read that story? Let's do that. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So Peter came to faith in Christ by confessing Jesus' lordship, his identity as Lord, as Lord. 
And, and in that, Peter had Jesus confess to him who he was. I'm going to say that again. Jesus, Peter confessed to Jesus who he was. He's Lord. He's not a great teacher. He's not a great religious figure. He's Lord of all. Peter came to that revelation. He is the highest. And that's, that's where Peter first found faith in Christ, but it was in doing that, in finding out who Jesus was, in that place, Jesus was able to reveal to Peter who he was. In fact, in that point, he wasn't Peter, many of you would know. His name was Simon, the son of John, and it was Jesus who said, you are Peter, meaning stone, and upon this rock, this bigger boulder of which you are just a piece of, you are a stone of this big rock. What's the rock? The revelation of what he had just confessed about Jesus, that he was the Christ, the son of God. You are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Luke chapter 5, reverse the clock. Let's go back to the very beginning for Peter. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. (laughs) I was confused there for a second. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which uh, is synonymous with the lake of Galilee. You'll, You'll hear it referred to in that way later. Uh, in the scripture. Same, same, it's the Sea of Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Verse 3. Then he got into one of the boats, this is Jesus, which was Simon's. Who is Simon? Very good. He got into uh, one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. I want you to just catch this, that the first thing that Jesus did here with Simon was Simon had his own career, his own pathway in life, his natural identity as the son of John. John, uh, his father, was a fisherman. And by virtue of that, Peter was going to go on with the family business and be a fisherman. That was his identity by virtue of birth. Little did he know that there was going to be a rebirth that would happen. That would give him a new identity because he would have a new father. The same father of Jesus, God the Father, creator of all. And there was a conference of a new identity on his way. And all Jesus did at first was just ask Peter, can I use your business? And even perhaps that would apply to some of us this morning. Jesus says, look, can I use your business for a bit? Whatever that may mean. And Jesus does that and he uses it. Peter's still not a follower of Jesus at this moment, but what happens is that Peter probably already knew who Jesus was. If you look at the bigger picture of the Gospels, you look at the Gospel of John, there's indication that Peter already had met Jesus. He wasn't a follower, but he had met Jesus. And by this point, he knew him, but he knew him as some dude who had a huge crowd around him, and he's preaching these messages, and there's apparently miracles happening. He's obviously some religious figure. That's what Peter knew, right? So Jesus comes. He's not, I'm not following him. I'm fishing. But there's something going on with you, dude, and uh, you're, you're interesting. You want to use my boat? Sure. Come along. It's, it's a first step of openness. Even some in this room. You might just have that first step of openness to Jesus. You're not willing to say, you are like my Lord and my God and I serve you forever today. But there's a first step of openness. I would encourage you just to do that first step. So what happens when he does this first step? Let's read. Verse 4. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon, again, that's Peter, answered and said to him, Master. Now I want you to pay attention to that word, master. Master, the original Greek word, epistates, 
would mean a guide or a teacher. He's like a, maybe a cult leader, we don't know. He's got this group with him, he's doing miracles, he's preaching his messages, it's amazing, but he's a guide, he's a teacher at this stage. Okay, you, you follow. He's not, he's, not, he's not my Lord. He's a guide and teacher. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. I'm going to be a little cheesy and ask you to say that with me. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Some of you, some of us, feel as though we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Maybe it's a family problem. Maybe it's a relational problem. Maybe it's a financial problem, a physical problem. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Gospel to the... Poor, human need. I'm open to you because I'm recognizing by the stuff that the enemy wants to bring into my life to bring destruction, I'm beginning to see that I have a need. And while seeing that I have a need is one of the least fun things in my life, it is one of the most beautiful because it works something called humility in us, and it's humility that enables us to receive the good news, and the good news is what transforms your life to begin to look like Jesus in his kingdom. It brings the kingdom into the earth as it is in heaven. Humility, faith. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Obedience. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Would that catch your attention? Toiled all night, exact same spot. We didn't change anything. All we did was let down the net on the other side of the boat. And somehow there's so many fish we can't even bring them in. That would catch my attention. Would Would it catch yours? I'm sure it caught Peter's. And here's Peter's response. It says, So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. It's like overwhelming goodness of Jesus. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Greek word kurios, the supreme in authority. You are not an authority figure. There is no authority higher than you. You are Lord. And it was in that moment that Peter came to faith in Christ. And it was from that moment Peter began to follow Jesus. That is what it means then, and that is what it, that's bad English, but follow me. That was what it meant then, and that is what it means today to be a believer. It is not to be a churchgoer. It's not to say I'm a Christian as opposed to being a Muslim. Being a believer in Jesus is having a revelation of who he is, and the natural consequence of that is to follow him. Not to go to church. Yes, we need to go to church, but we go to church because we're following him. I don't pray so that I tick a spiritual box. I pray because I'm following him. I don't know how to follow him if I'm not talking with him. <laughs> you follow? Yes. So this, this, he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. He sees his own need, his own state, his own need for Jesus, his own even unworthiness, but he also sees who Jesus is. And verse 9 says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. 
And Matthew's version says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I love how Jesus is so... He, 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 the moment that Peter confessed faith in Christ and got it, got who Jesus was, was, is always the same moment that Jesus says, now my boy, now I can... Ink, inkling. Now I can sprinkle. <laughs> I can indicate something of what your calling is. And even if it's kind of in a somewhat abstract way, fisher of men, I don't think Peter knew what the heck he meant by that. But I also think that when he said that, knowing who Jesus was, that he is the king, he's, he's God, I'm thinking that he probably felt, I don't know what fishers of men means, but I want to know. Because I have a strong feeling that this is what I was born for. How do I become that fisher of men? Jesus says, follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. Let's go. Let's hear what Peter did at this point. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I want you to pay to catch that. Faith in Jesus is not, it's not a work that you do. It's not something if you're really good, you're going to have faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is, is an open heart that perceives who he is. Following, forsaking all to follow him is a natural byproduct, not because Peter was so righteous and holy, because he had simply seen Jesus and knew, where else am I going to go? <laughs> I have found the one. He's it. He's the highest. And he also isn't just the one. He's coming to me and showing his authority in such a way that suggests he wants to bless me. That's the way he first came to Peter. Right? He, the multiplication of the fish. The, not the multiplication, but the, this huge catch of fish. And this idea that I've got a plan for you. I want to follow you. I don't have to follow you. I want to. And so I'll just share quickly my own story. Coming to faith at the age of 17. Grew up in a, uh, I won't go into the denomination and all that, but I was in a Christian home. If you would have asked me at the age of 16, 17, I would have absolutely said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Um, uh, if pe- people who, yeah, anyways, <laughs> maybe I didn't act like one uh, in, in total. You'll hear many stories, I'm sure, through the, through the years and through the weeks of those things. But I, at the age of 17, I had this religious studies class at my private Catholic, well, there it is, there's a non-denomination. <laughs> and nothing against Catholicism, that's not, it's not my point here at all. I know many Catholics who have a sincere relationship with the Lord. In that, that uh, private Catholic high school, we had a senior year privilege of having religious studies with Father Richard Lopez. Father Lopez was unlike any other priest I'd ever seen before. Back in the day, this is going to seem way old school to some of you, but, but there was a guy named MC Hammer, <laughs> and he was actually cool at that time. And there was this thing, too legit, too legit to quit. And, and, and so this was like fresh contemporary culture. This was not something Catholic priests were supposed to involve themselves in, let alone even know about. And here was Father Lopez with a smile on his face. All the kids, like he was the Pied Piper. Everyone wanted to be with him. He, as opposed to these old priests that were, you know, like, bless you, my child. And always speaking in this like thing that, like, what did you say? I don't even know. What are you talking about? And he's like talking our language, and he's cool, and he's fun, he's funny. And uh, in one morning, he has this um, exercise that we did, senior year, and uh, he asks us all to close our eyes, which, which I did. And he asks us to picture the face of Abraham Lincoln. 
interesting religious studies class. And so we pictured, I pictured the face of Abraham Lincoln. He says, okay, now wipe that image out of your mind. I want you to picture the face of your very closest human relationship, your very best friend. So I kind of struggled to find who that would be. I had a girlfriend. Maybe it's her, Carrie Franklin, my, my, one of my best friends. Or maybe it's Luke. And so I just kind of had all three. And he says, uh, okay, so I want you to look at that face and study it. How does it make you feel? Is it, is it, what, do you know that person? Do you know? And he just kind of has this kind of look at that image, so to speak. And he says, wipe that clear. He says, now I want you to imagine, picture Jesus. He says, do you feel like you know Jesus like you know that friend? Or is it more like Abraham Lincoln? In other words, is it that you know about him? or that you actually know him. Because with the person that you know, you probably know what makes them tick. You probably know what makes them upset, what makes them happy. You know how they're going to respond to this, how they're going to respond to that. You know them by virtue of actual time spent in some form of intimacy. And in that moment, my poverty was revealed to me. I hope you understand gospel to the poor. I realized I had a poverty in my life, and it was called, I don't know him. I know about him. I even pray every night. I am a part of a Christian home. We go to church every Sunday. I do not know him in the way he just described. Nor have I ever heard of that being a possibility. And the fact that he said it, the too legit to quit priest, (laughs) I had a trust in my heart. I knew he was legit. Sorry for the pun, but I knew he was legit. And if he's indicating that I can know him personally, I believed it. And then he says this scripture. I won't go into the details, but he says the very scripture that I just happened to have been wondering for the past 12 months what the heck it meant. Seek and you shall find. And he says, if you're wanting that relationship, Jesus promised if you seek it, you will find it. That's what it means! Whoa! Thank you, Father Lippin! And uh, he says, so if you seek it, You'll, you'll find it. And I had a boldness in my heart that Jesus had made a promise, almost like I could claim it. Like, like, like I wouldn't be audacious to say to Jesus, make it so that I find you because I'm seeking you. I wouldn't be audacious or being arrogant or bossing God around. Jesus actually said this. So I go through my day. I go work at the candy store like I did after, after school. I shouldn't remind, uh, openly admit that. And uh, I, got, I, I forget all about it. And that night I go back home and, you know, I'm, uh, who knows what I did that day? God only knows. <laughs> Probably wasn't all holy. And I go back to my bed and I'm lying in uh, my bed and it was like, okay, I should pray because I pray every night before I go to bed. And, and then I remembered, oh yeah, that, that class with Father Lopez. And so I just drop all my normal prayer of like God help the United States of America and bless my family and 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 I I just started to say God I don't feel like I know you and all I can say is this it was like it was like for the first time in my life the prayer got real it was like I had gone through motions my entire life up to that point and that point it was like I felt his nearness. I felt almost like, it was almost like I, I actually have God's attention. And in retrospect, I think it was that he finally had my attention. Yeah. And, and I was like, God, I don't know you. But I want to know you. 
And it, as I'm praying this, I'm thinking, what could possibly be what what could possibly be better in this life if God is real than to know Him? Yeah. Like logically, think that one through. Is there anything He created that would top Him? Mm. So I'm like, I, I, there's this sense of like I found the thing. Like it doesn't get more bottom line than this. This is it. And I want to know you. And you said, Jesus, seek and you shall find. <laughs> and I want you to know I'm seeking you. Help me to find you. And, and as I prayed that, I realized, what the heck does that mean? Like, how do you seek him? I know how to seek, like, some physical thing geographically located in this world. How do you seek him? And I said, I, I, I just want you to know I'm seeking you. Help me to find you. And in that moment... I don't know where I had heard it, where it came from, but I remembered from somewhere back hearing that you've got to confess your sin and confess that he's Lord. I, don't, I would never have been taught that directly. I don't know. I just, and so I thought, oh yeah, there's something about that. So I started confessing my sins. I started going through, and all I knew was like Catholic confession, you know, like going through the whole list of everything. And I, I started confessing. And then finally, I, I was like, I don't even know what to confess. I, I don't even know what sin is. I remember saying that. You show me what sin is. I want to commit myself to you. And, and that's when I said, Jesus, I confess, you are Lord. I place my life in your hands. And in retrospect, I don't, it was like, maybe I was so young, I didn't know to think, to, to analyze this. It was like, I so kind of like casually just, here it is, everything I am, here it's yours now. It wasn't even hard. It was like, I just believed. I just knew it was real. I knew he was real. And I just said, I give you my life. And in that moment, something, now I know what it was. I became reborn. I woke up the next day and my whole life was perfect. (laughs) I woke up the next day and something had changed. And the best way I know to describe it is this, is the awareness of him in me and with me. That's the best way I know how to say the difference. And I began to feel bad. Good news to the poor, right? Yeah. Yay! I began to feel bad about things that I had never felt bad about before. Yeah. It, was, it was a relationship. In a relationship, you find out what you, the other partner likes and what they don't like. And I started feeling bad. And I, that brought compromise into my heart. But I'm not going to go down there. The, what I want to say here is that I knew my poverty was that I didn't know him. And from that, I discovered him. And from that moment, he has been leading me down to this very moment now. Not perfect. I'm not perfect. Can I be as audacious to say Jesus Christ dwells inside of me through his Holy Spirit? That's real. I've had fellowship with him. I've sensed his presence. I've sensed him speak things to me that there's no way that wasn't real. Lead me to do things and leaps of faith that there's no way to see him come through that this isn't real. So with Peter, remember Peter? We were talking about Peter? Stuff got in the way after that original beautiful first experience with him. Let's read about that real quick. Luke chapter 22. So a little context about this passage of Scripture, this part. You just heard about the moment in the boat where he gave his life to Jesus. He follows Jesus. He's been following Jesus for three years now. 
He's left everything. He's left his family, his livelihood, his everything. He's seen Jesus do miracles. He's seen Jesus multiply fish and loaves. He's seen Jesus raise the dead. And here it is, three years later, Jesus is in the night of his passion. Jesus is having his last supper. And this is the, now the dawn of the day that he's going to die. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it says, The Lord said to Simon, said, Simon, Simon, and again, who is Simon? Peter. Peter. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. These are the words of Jesus. This is good doctrine. We can trust what Jesus just said, that Satan will at times ask for some of us, that he may sift us as wheat. That does not mean that some weird demonic red-shaped demon with a pitchfork comes and starts to sift us physically. What does it mean? It means that there are circumstances metaphorically speaking, that would sift us like wheat, would break us down. And some of us know exactly in this room what I'm talking about, that you have had faith in Christ, just like Peter. You followed him, and Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. I want to point something out here, is that first of all, the devil tries to bring destruction in your life, and apparently from that passage of Scripture, we see that God will use that very thing as that intended destruction actually brings you back to Him. Did you hear me say back to Him? Back where you started. Going back in order to go forward. Go back to that original, pure, simple faith experience. When you return to Him, that will become the very thing that you are able to use to then go and encourage the brothers. In other words, become a rebuilder of ruins. God will try to bring destruction, excuse me, Satan will try to bring destruction in your life. God's sovereignty is such that he uses the work of the devil to become the very thing that brings victory for the kingdom of heaven. And isn't that, not by, by the way, not the whole point of the gospel? Is that what greater defeat was there than Jesus on a cross? It looked like destruction. Can you imagine being one of the uh, disciples? They left everything to follow Jesus and they just witnessed him die, a humiliating death, everybody taunting him, saying, if you're God, save yourself. And he breathed his last breath in our, in our presence and he's gone. This is dead. We have been fools to follow him. And that, became the, that's, that death became the very source of thousands, if not millions, of people receiving salvation and forgiveness of their sins and eternal life because of what He did at that cross. There would be no resurrection if there was not a death. God uses the very thing that the enemy thinks is what He's going to destroy the work of God. God is so much bigger, He uses that very thing to become the thing that propels it forward. Peter's faith in this moment, excuse me, verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, I am not ready to go with you. Oh, no, excuse me. I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And some of us in this room have, have felt that way in our relationship with the Lord. We have felt in moments of worship, in moments of faith, in moments of connection, so touched by Jesus, I could never even dream of letting you down. I could never dream of leaving you. And then the trial comes. 
And Jesus doesn't seem so wonderful anymore. And where are you now, Jesus? And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. See, Jesus wasn't trying to make Peter feel bad. Jesus was trying to show Peter his poverty. Yes, you have faith in me, my boy. That's awesome. But there's still other things that are going to be in the way. Your love for me is not as great as you think it is. Your commitment, your devotion, your faith in me is is this. And it's going to be in the way to get where I'm taking you. Because remember, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And, And where you are now can't continue following me. And you're going to need to see your need to allow me to do some things in you so that you can continue going where I'm leading you. And it may stink in the moment, my friends. You are looking at a man who has had his faith tested and has been through some trials. That was all in my past, though. I'm I'm past all that now. Uh. (laughs) It is never fun in the moment. I don't care how strong your faith gets. The tests never seem fun. You never mature or graduate from it. It's always going to be difficult. Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. I won't read that for time's sake. I just want to say, because many of you do know the story, and if you don't, I'll just tell it to you. As Jesus was before the day actually came, it was still the wee hours in the morning, it was still dark, and the disciples were there, and Peter wasn't with Jesus. He wanted to watch from afar. His... Something had been exposed in his heart already that he wasn't willing to be associated directly with G- Peter. I mean, with Jesus. And, and he goes to a fire where there's a little group of people standing around a fire to keep warm. And somebody points to him out and says, Hey, buddy, aren't you one of his followers? That dude is like going to be crucified later on today, aren't you? And no, no, no. I, I don't know. I don't know him. And then another time it happens again. Some little servant girl's like, Hey, you're a Galilean. We can tell by your accent. And you're not from here. We were in Jerusalem. You're not from here. You're, you're one of his followers. No, I don't know what you're talking about, woman. I'm just quoting scripture. I'm not being sexist. <laughs> that was a whole other cultural thing. And then, and then, the, and then the third time, it happens again. And right as he, as he denies uh, Jesus that third time, he hears the cock crow. And, 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 and Luke, the, 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 the gospel writer Luke, says, And the Lord turned, verse 61, and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Verse 62, so Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And there's a sorrow that can happen when we begin to see our own need, see where we really are, and there can be a sorrow, and we can even weep, we can feel bad. I can tell you now, there were, uh, I can remember driving a year after my conversion, remember how I told you about how I came to the Lord at the age of 17? Fast forward the clock a year later, I was feeling so compromised in my life because I was still living the same life, walking with the same friends. Not that I should have shunned my friends, but I was still doing all the same stuff, the party lifestyle, the sex, the drugs, the everything, doing all that same stuff. And, uh, and I remember driving back down after visiting my family during a break during the first trimester of, of college, and I'm driving the three-and-a-half-hour drive down to the university, and I'm literally crying in the car, saying, Lord, I don't know how to change. Like, if I leave this lifestyle, I don't have friends who... Like, where I won't have friends. Like, this is what you do if you're... Cool. 
<laughs> I don't have, I wouldn't have friends. I'm, I'm crying, Lord, I, I, but yet I either can please man or I can please you. And to please you, it looks like I'm not going to have any friends. And so I said, Lord, you have got to send somebody who has had this experience. I had yet to meet one other person who had this experience. I thought I was the only person who had had this rebirth experience. I'm not kidding. I did not know anyone else who had had this experience. That next day, I'm sitting in my dormitory floor, bouncing a basketball, and Walter Bowden, who's in the dorm next to me, comes in. And he starts telling me about the change in his life. And I said, why, why did you make this change? And he said, because I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And like, I look at him with this shock, and he's looking at me like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. But I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, you're the answer to my prayer. And he invites me to this campus ministry. And from that point forward, like the strength of spiritual community has propelled me forward way beyond out of that weeping bitterly like Peter was experiencing. And so let's go forward here. Jesus restored Peter by bringing him back to the simplicity of his first love and faith. The context here is that Peter had denied, as you already know, Jesus three times. That was now in between his relationship with Jesus. He felt like he had violated. He didn't feel that clean, pure place with Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus' resurrection. When, when people came to him and had seen Jesus rise again, he did not believe it. When he saw the empty tomb, he did not believe it. When Jesus appeared to him with the other 12 in a room, he still didn't believe it. And here they are in obedience to what Jesus had said. Go back to Galilee. I'll meet you there. And he had compromise in his heart. Has anybody ever had compromise in their heart in the relationship with Jesus before? How does that feel? This is where Peter was. And in John chapter 21, if you you want to turn there with me, it says in verse 3, Simon Peter said to him, uh, he was with the other disciples, and they, they were waiting for Jesus to apparently appear. He says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going to go with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. Does this sound familiar? This is three years after the original. Verse 4, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Also sounding familiar? says, Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered, No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Is this sounding familiar? This is the sweetness. I want you to catch this. This is the sweetness and even the sentimentality of Jesus. That moment that you first met him is precious in his heart. He remembers it like he would have a picture hanging on the wall to commemorate an experience that means a great deal to him. He never forgot that space. He never forgot that moment that he had with me, that moment where I first realized who he was and said, I want to know you. I give you my life. That moment is etched in my memory and Jesus is saying, it's still etched in mine. And yes, you may have have compromised. You may have been exposed that your faith and your love for me are actually not all you thought it was. But I still remember that moment. I've never left that moment. And that moment that I said, I'll make you a fisher of men, that invitation still reigns and still sits over your heart and over your life. And 
it says, Jesus, so they cast that, sorry, verse 7, and therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, referring to John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now listen to this. And then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. The other disciples came to the shore on the boat. Something in the heart of Peter said, I get it. You're, you're referring back to that place when you first met you, back when, when, when everything was good between me and you, back in that place where I first met you and I loved you and I knew that you loved me. You brought me back to that first place. Jesus was saying, do you remember how it all began? Do you remember who you saw in that moment me to be? Do you remember who I said I had called you to be? And I want to say this, that Jesus remains faithful to that place always, even when we don't. Can you receive that in your heart? Condemnation will kill your relationship and your connection with Him. Because it's so true. You did fail Him. You are wrong. You do have need. But the unbelievable truth of the gospel is it thrives in the place of need. Rather than covering up the fact that you have need and that you have failure, let that become the thing that throws your knees before Jesus to bow to Him and say, Lord, here is my need, but you are my solution. That is how He redeems it. And if you'll go on with me, John chapter 21, I want you to see the very next thing. After they have breakfast, which is interesting because here's Jesus resurrected and He's ingesting food into His body. Figure that out. Where does that go? I don't know. But anyways, John chapter 21, verse 15 says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now you got to understand in the Greek language, there are three different words for love that would be translated into English as love. There's agape, let's use that finger. There's agape, which would mean sacrificial love. It's not feeling based. It's not based on the goodness of the person being loved. It's based on, on the sacrificial, unconditional love of the person loving. Does that make sense? And then you've got phileo, which is brotherly love. It's, it's affection. It's my mate. I feel good about them. It's based on how that person makes you feel. And then there's eros, which would be like romantic, erotic love, sexual love, and that, that sort of thing. And so when Jesus says to Peter in this passage of Scripture, he says, do you love me? He says, do you agape me? Unconditional. Is this love that you have for me based on how you feel about me? Or is it based on your feelings? Is it unconditional Is it sacrificial or is it affection? Is it emotion? And Jesus said, and Peter, Peter says, sorry, I got a little technological problem here. He says, Do you love me more than these? And and Peter says to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I've got brotherly love, I've got affection for you. He's not catching it. Yet. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. You may remember the fisher of men concept. He's using the same kind of terminology to suggest something of calling and purpose. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape. And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I've got affection. He's still not getting it. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Is your love for me affection? Is it just brotherly love? I'm your bud? And Peter's catching on. And it says, he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I only phileo you. I'm including, I'm putting the word only in myself. You know that the extent of my love is not agape. I don't love you the way you love me. But Jesus is calling him higher. Not for Jesus' sake, for Peter's sake. Why? Because I've called you, my boy, to be a fisher of men. I've called to make you into who you are. But it's going to be you receiving my love and in return reciprocating and loving me more and more, more deeply, more deeply. She said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Jesus exposed Peter's problem. Actually, Satan sought to sift him like wheat. And Jesus used that to expose to Peter his problem. He thought he loved Jesus and would go wherever, but it was actually more about emotion and feelings and experience than it was about actually loving Jesus. And in the restoration of Jesus, he didn't to Peter, he didn't just say to Peter, you naughty person, now you see. In the very exposing of the problem, he presented the solution. Feed my lambs. You were not willing to represent me on that night that I died. You denied me before the very people that I'm sending you to reach. And I'm giving you the opportunity to love me. And if you love me, just do this. Be who you are. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Go do it. Go back to that first space where I first met you and you first met me and I whispered to you who you were called to be. Go back to that place and be that person as you follow me. Could we close our eyes perhaps?